0: As we continue worshipping together today, siblings, I invite you to turn into your Bibles or Bible apps to the Book of Lamentations, chapter 2, verse 11, and chapter 3, verses 46 through 50. Let us receive together the Word of God. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of my people, because infants and babes faint in the streets of the city. All our enemies have opened their mouths wide against us. We have suffered terror and pitfalls, ruin and destruction. Streams of tears flow from my eyes because my people are destroyed. My eyes will flow incessantly without relief until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God.
1: It is an honor uh, to be able to share with you and your congregation this morning. Uh, Sometimes, you know, when you meet persons, uh, you you just kind of have a kindred spirit. And Ginger described uh, our, our experience this past year, and I have to tell you, it's been the same for me. Uh, our, our spirits just clicked, and we have been fast friends ever since. Uh, she inspires me, and I, I trust you know, Foundry, how blessed you are uh, to have her leading uh, your congregation. I was looking forward to being with you in person uh, in D.C. As a matter of fact, I was I'm on a leave and I was officially supposed to begin my leave the day after preaching uh, in your church uh, in person. But no, I'm grateful for technology and know that as soon as I'm able, look forward to the opportunity to be able to greet you all uh, in for in-person worship. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful for every opportunity you give us. Uh, to encounter your word. Holy Spirit, use this preaching moment. Heal us. God, heal us from the wounds that we have experienced the past few weeks. Heal our emotional and psychological wounds. Heal the wounds that have been inflicted in our souls. And God, help us to get a fresh glimpse of your power and your vision for all of humanity. Lord, hide me behind the cross. Let the words of my mouth the meditation of our collective hearts be acceptable in thy holy and righteous sight. For Lord, you alone are our strength, God, and you are our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to preach this morning about uh, living as if, I'm I'm happy to be a part of this preaching series, living as if there is a reason to hope. These are trying times. For the past several months, we have been dealing with this pandemic called COVID-19, trying to navigate the coronavirus in which we seem to have no control of. We've experienced just 70,000 new cases just yesterday. And so we mourn the deaths of 137,000 Americans and over half a million people around the globe who have died from this virus. And to make matters worse, we are also navigating the virus of 1619. And it appears to be making a full hearted comeback. Police brutality, white supremacy, health disparities, and economic inequality have all converged in recent weeks to create the perfect storm. Our spirit grieves the modern day lynching of Armand Arbery, as well as the killing of Breonna Taylor, Elijah McClain, Rashard Brooks, the murder of George Floyd, These lists, the names go on and on. Even as we have tried to shelter in place, black lives are still at risk for being infected by this insidious virus of racism. In the words of that great theologian, Marvin Gaye, he asked the question, what's going on? And the words were, mother, mother, too many of you are crying. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you Dying, we've got to find a way to bring some loving here today. Oh, what's going on? Friends, I wanna suggest to you that in the midst of pain and suffering, we too are often left wondering, what's going on? Why, God, would you allow such pain to happen in our lives? We're also left wondering, where is God during the trials and the tribulations in life? Where is God when life hurts? God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. But yet, sometimes, if we are honest, God seems so far away when things are going bad in our lives. Here's a question I've wrestled with this week. How do I hold on to my belief in the God of salvation, the the God of liberation, in the face of the problems and the contradictions that the world produces for my faith? Friends, we are confronted with the painful reality that when we finally emerge out of this quarantine, we we will confront a world that is not as we want it to be. And can I tell you that when tragedy is big enough, deep enough, close enough, and real enough, there can no longer be business as usual. So what are we supposed to do? in the face of this reality that we now confront as a nation. I like the way the psalmist posed the question. The psalmist said in Psalm 11, the third verse, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? When the foundations are being destroyed, when when everything else is up in the air, when the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people grows increasingly acceptable, because of political and economic expediency. When we worry about whether it's safe to allow our children to participate in a peaceful protest. When we worry about whether our child will survive a simple traffic stop. When we are bombarded by words and images and political rhetoric that dehumanize and degrade the very existence of some of God's children. When it's all crisis and chaos, what can the righteous do? I speak to you this morning not simply as as a pastor or not simply as a general secretary for discipleship ministries, but also as a father, and particularly a father of a 24-year-old son, a son who long ago outgrew me in physical height, he's 6'3". His name is Wesley. He recently graduated from KU, Kansas University, Rock Chalk, Jayhawk. And he's already experienced almost two life-threatening encounters with the police. And I pray that every time he leaves the house, he will return home safely. What can the righteous do? In the chaos, in the midst of the confusion, when we feel crushed, when we feel uh, out of control, how, how do you keep your eyes on Jesus when they're full of tears? How do you find hope in the midst uh, of tragedy? Jeremiah helps us along this morning. That this is the question that he asked many, many years ago in our text, Lamentations Today. Jeremiah went through one of the most horrendous periods in the history of Israel. When an enemy nation came in, ravaged the entire land. During Jeremiah's lifetime, he watched enormous atrocities, inhumanities done to his people, to his family, to those he loved. Jeremiah wrote what he lived and he lived what he wrote. And when the brokenness of humanity is on full display, I believe that a lament is an appropriate response. In the middle of a national tragedy where he had lost many of his fellow citizens, he pens these words in the book of Lamentations. He said, I I have cried until tears no longer come. My heart is broken. My spirit poured out as I see what has happened to my people. Then he says in the third chapter, we have suffered terror and pitfalls, ruin and destruction. Streams of tears flow from my eyes because of the destruction of my people. Lamentations, my friends, deepens our understanding of where to find hope in the midst of hardship. Lamentations really is an invitation to live as if there is a reason to hope. And there is a reason to hope. First, we we must hear the cry for justice. Lamentations invites us to hear the voice of sorrow as we live between the effects of our sin and God's future restoration. The times in which we live are not only trying times, but times. But yes, they are also crying times. And as believers in the body of Christ, we cannot be unmoved by the chorus of cries that reverberate through the streets of cities across our nation. We all understand when basic human needs go unmet, cries will be heard. Some folk are crying for food. Their basic needs right now are not being met because of the economic conditions they face due to this pandemic. Some folk are crying for community, for camaraderie, for companionship, because although we live in an age that connects us by technology in ways like never before, this quarantine has many feeling isolated. We are haunted by the echoes of myriad of cries for unemployment, for the lack of health care for the end to senseless gun violence on our streets. And yet undergirding all of these cries is the cry for racial justice. Killings all over the nation in Minnesota, Atlanta, Denver, follow a long string of deaths of black people at the hands of the police in Staten Island, Cleveland, Baltimore, Ferguson, North Charleston, South Carolina, among others. They they have stalked, outrage around the country, and so then, the cry for racial justice is as pertinent as ever. Justice. Isn't that what most people want? Justice, an even playing field, a fair chance, an equal opportunity, an opportunity to not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character? We must hear the cry for racial justice because, as John Wesley once said, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. And in many ways, we are seeing the effects of what a past generation has tolerated. My friends, the lack of introspection on many, many white Americans about the existence of racism, the denial and the dumbfoundedness are the astonishment of a nation being overcome by the fear of the other and the obsession with naming the other as evil does not see that it incubates and it unleashes terror and evil from within. Every Normal, healthy-minded human being with a strong sense of right and wrong will be outraged when justice is denied to any of God's children. But there is good news that even as this cry for racial justice grows louder, I am convinced that in the midst of the problems we face as a nation, we still have the power of God's promises in our midst. Yes, there is a reason to hope. I'm so glad that in the midst of the tears, God reminds Jeremiah of a promise. Lamentations, the fifth chapter, verses 17 through 19, we are sick at our very hearts and we can hardly see through our tears. But you, O oh Lord, are king forever and you will rule to the end of time. Yes, God is still in control in spite of the tragedy. So I remember that no matter what, God is still with me. There is a reason to hope for as Isaiah, the 40th chapter declares, every hill and mountain will be made low. Every valley will be exalted and the crooked places will be made straight and the rough places made smooth and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and flesh shall see it together. As the people of God, we have to hear this cry for racial justice. We must proclaim our prophetic witness. One of the reasons I I love the book of Lamentations is it doesn't doesn't rush to a happy ending. It it allows us to to lament. It it allows us to, to, to rehearse the story of God. In the third chapter, verse 22, we read that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, that God's mercies never come to an end. Jeremiah proclaims the never-ending, morning-ready mercies of the Lord over a destroyed city. Jerusalem looked like a wasteland, like a war zone. But while the question still lingered and the suffering continued, Jeremiah pronounces what he knows to be true about God, despite what he saw. We too are called, friends, to rehearse the truth about God and to usher in a resurgence of hope for God's children. So I've come this morning, Foundry, to share with you, to to issue a a prophetic challenge uh, to the people called United Methodists. And I submit to you that though we have a host of of new struggles and we have a host of fights for freedom in our midst and that the struggle for liberation is not over, there's yet still a reason for hope. Our mission field is not merely across the sea. It is across the street in DC, in Minnesota, in Baltimore, in Dallas, in Denver, in Atlanta, in Little Rock, in Lincoln, in Baton Rouge, in Kansas City, in Houston, all across America. I believe the capacity to address the issues we are facing right now as it relates to racial justice lies within us, particularly within the people called Methodists. You know, if you want a bag of cement to become concrete, you have to open up that bag of cement and you have to mix it with water. Likewise, you have to mix God's word with faith in order for it to become a concrete experience in your life. What I'm saying is faith without works is dead. Faith demands an action, not just a feeling. Hope demands requires our participation. It's not just a feeling. And I have been particularly encouraged Looking at, at how diverse the crowds of protesters have been, young and white and suburban and black and urban. Thinking that we, we have a unique opportunity as the church to not only support these efforts, but also to begin authentic relationships with these young people. Discipleship begins with relationships. And you cannot disciple people that you are not in relationship with. This is a moment to intentionally engage millennials in meaningful conversation. They, they want to be in strategic conversation with the church. I've been on so many calls, national organizing calls, about the, the things that are happening across this nation. And, and, and trust me, millennials want to be in conversation with faith leaders. Remember, we were once a church church that inspired social movements. We were once a church that headquartered them, planned them. But I don't know why we now watch from irrelevance as others now carry the banner. I'm calling us to a prophetic moment. We can do something. We, We can intercede in prayer daily. We can invite young people into conversation. We can listen. We can learn how to address the issues of race with our neighbors in open, honest, and authentic dialogue. We can advocate for uniform police standards and trainings for non-biased policing across the nation. We can do something. And I believe there are millions of young people who are waiting to see if the church will dare to be a relevant and prophetic voice for such a time as this, waiting to see if we will fully embrace the the personal mission statement of Jesus. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed press to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Are we not hearers of that same spirit? I believe our communities need churches like you, Foundry, for such a time as this. I believe as we hear the cry for racial justice and we respond with a prophetic witness that we will begin to reach a new generation of believers. This is our moment. This is a reason to hope. That's why I echo the words of John Wesley who said, unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? All of them are together are stronger than God. Oh, be not weary of well-doing. There is a reason to hope. For God declares in 2 Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. When we seek God's will with humility, prayer and obedience, I believe revival will come. Hope will come to this nation. Healing will come to this nation. And finally, we can hear and respond to the cries for racial justice across this nation. There is a reason to hope. For like Jeremiah, even when my heart is breaking because of the circumstances of life, it does not change the truth about who I know God to be. For I am convinced that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God, not life, not death, not angels, not demons, not our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for a reason to hope. We pray God for our nation. As the body of Christ, we pray that justice and righteousness will prevail in our nation, our homes, our workplaces, our churches, schools, and communities. Lord, we believe that you will use us in prophetic ways to help our nation raise above the acts of injustice and senseless violence that we are witnessing. You are the Lord who loves all of humankind. God, you are no respecter of persons. You created us in your image. You desire that we love each other as we love ourselves. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to redeem us from a life of despair and hopelessness. Thank you, Lord, that your plans stand firm forever and that your intentions can never be shaken. Yes, we see hope on the horizon. And we thank you in the name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen.